and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I am Gavin. Oh, all right. Oh, welcome. Yeah, yeah, late night. What's up, dude? How you doing? How's it, how's it going? I'm doing, I'm doing great. You know what? I'm really good. Thanks for your flexibility this morning. We're uh, recording 30 minutes later than we originally planned, but I actually have a super busy day today, which I love because uh, since... COVID and the lockdown, these kind of days are scarce where I'm actually like doing, pro- I have a full day of productive, like back to back to back things that I could almost barely manage to squeeze in, which was my life for four years in LA. Yeah, I remember. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I like that consistency and routine. So uh, yeah, anyways, uh, any news, Any uh, anything you want to start off with real quick? Well, I, I know there's been some news and uh, shows getting picked up like... Uh... Mm. I don't know if you want to, you have this shake in your mouth, so I'm going to tell it, Warrior Season 3. That is correct, that is correct. Yes, I am drinking my post-workout shake, so I apologize if you guys hear uh, sounds. Once again, very uh, compact day today. Yes, I I knew it was going to happen. Like, I've been telling Jessica, I'm like, look, it's it's going to happen. It's going to get picked up. Now, I was a little afraid that it would take too long, and some of these up-and-coming, like, stars from the show may not be able to, like, do the next seasons, and that's what I was worried about. But I'm so glad that it got picked up for season three, because I'm a huge fan of the series, and this has absolutely nothing to do with my love and quasi-obsession with Bruce Lee, uh, you know, being one of my main inspirations and heroes. I really kind of disassociate the show from him. I mean, yes, he wrote the treatment and so forth, but this show is a collaboration of so many great and talented individuals. It's really its own entity, right? And all of the cast members on there are fantastic, and I'm really excited to see season three. So that is fantastic news. Uh, other than that, we've got, let's see, our Mortal Kombat comes out next week. Yep. Uh, it comes out on my birthday. Happy birthday to me. Uh, great present. Uh, so really looking forward to that. And off the top of my head, I really didn't take many notes on news today. Uh, I may film a little intro for this. Uh, and I'm, if I I'm do... Fil- yeah, I'm filming one too. Cool. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, so I believe you have a question for me, good sir. Yes. So uh, regarding today's recordings, we're going to start off with some questions. And so the first one is, we're picking up on what we asked last week. What is a, another perfect movie for you? Like, what's what's that movie you sit down and there isn't one scene where you're disengaged from? And and just, you know, the point of these questions are for, for our listeners to get to know us better and also maybe point them in, the, in a good direction for a great film to watch. I like this. I like this. And so obviously for us, we're going to stick with action and martial arts just because that's what this podcast is about. We watch films of all genres, obviously. Uh, but... So for me, last week I did Enter the Dragon. Uh, oh, I said Enter the Dragon, obviously, and Drunken Master 2. Uh, this week, I'll, I'll kind of go back and forth. I'll try to jump from like maybe different country or different, you know, subgenre. But I'm going to go with... So, for example, I'm going to talk about a movie that if I just want to watch something, like I want to watch a high-quality Blu-ray or something, and I want to put it on... And even though I've seen it a million times, but it's just I need something that I know is going to satisfy that itch for awesome action. Uh, it's going to be Sonny Chiba's The Street Fighter. Oh, very nice. Yeah, very because good. now that there is a, uh, you know, I believe not 4K, but 2K Blu-ray, uh, 2K remastered scan Blu-ray. Uh, the Street Fighter was one of those ones where the original copy of it was never terrible. It was actually pretty solid. Uh but the the new Blu-ray that is available that I have is beautiful. You can, and you for the first time ever you can watch it in Japanese, so that's really cool. Uh, 
all three of the films you can watch in Japanese, which is cool. But at the same time, there's that nostalgia factor for watching it dubbed in English. Yeah. Like, ah, so the Yakuza wants to kill me because I know who their leader is. Isn't that mean and nasty? You know, you, you, the Terry Sarugi dub is classic. Yeah. But uh, I also enjoy watching in Japanese because unlike the Hong Kong films at that time, it was filmed with sync sound. So that is Sonny Chiba's voice you're hearing. That is all the actors' voices you are hearing. And I love the whole trilogy. Street Fighter, Return of the Street Fighter, Street Fighter's Last Revenge. Uh, they're all fantastic. Uh, and so for for my answer last week, I was just talking about how Under Siege is just, it's perfect. I mean, even the cringy kiss at the end, it is a perfect Seagal movie. That's what you mm-hmm. want, you want a little cringe. Uh, this week, I'm doing uh, Fire Down Below. I'm kidding. Mm. Uh, but it actually is. A, it's funny. The, don't talk the, Don't talk too much about it because it's on yeah. my Netflix uh, DVD okay. rental queue because I haven't seen it in so long. I was like, I need to rewatch that. Yeah, there are there are some really good scenes, but I'm, I'm actually going to go with what I think is one of the most perfect films is dragons forever. It it's solid. I, and if I'm, if I'm going to like get somebody interested in a, in, in a film from, from not eighties, Hong Kong, I'll just show them even just one or two segments from there, like the boat seat, uh, segment. Uh, but yeah, you can watch that from beginning to end and it's absolutely perfect. Uh, and I don't turn away from it. And I, I think it's, it's sort of the culmination of all the work that was put together, uh, by Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung, Yun Biao, Yun Hua, Corey Yun, and you know the villain, the the villains that are cast throughout that are just villains. You know, even even the cameo roles harken back to the '70s through the '80s. Just absolutely perfect, perfectly cast. Same thing. So th- I guess for me, it sometimes comes down to casting. Like Under Siege is perfectly cast, and now Dragons Forever is just another perfectly cast film. A hundred percent. And the the rarity of that one is not only is a an ensemble piece for the protagonist, right? Which in Hong Kong wasn't un, uh, uncommon, right? You know, you had the Lucky Star series. We had the three dragon movies, uh, which would be Samuel, Yuen Biao, Jackie, including the Lucky Stars. But the, the cast of villains is equally as awesome, right? As you said, you know, yeah. Yuen Hua is the lead villain. We've got henchmen such as Billy Chow, the mm-hmm. ultimate henchman of, and then you've got Dick Way in there, yeah. but like the ultimate henchman of Benny the Jet. So it's so cool. It's like the best of the best versus the best of the best. Yeah, it, it's, it's can't go nice. wrong. It's a great way to close the chapter on 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 that on that era and on on the collaboration of those those actors at their peak. And and I don't know, it just you know, I want more of that. And if I want more of that, I just put on the movie. And I like the right. Japanese version, Cyclone Z. Because Cyclone Z has the outtakes. There are some versions of Dragons Forever that just cut to uh, uh, the camera roll with the people walking in the background at the at the final after the final fight. And I can speak to the fact that as a kid, I had taped off a TBS, the Superstation, at two a.m. The original English dub, which is my favorite, I haven't seen in probably fifteen years. That one does not have the outtakes. I also have uh, the original Hong Kong version. I have multiple copies. Uh, one that I picked up in Chinatown, San Francisco way long time ago and then another one i picked up in hong kong and neither of those have outtakes so yeah, i've never seen the dragons forever outtakes oh it's it's fantastic and i think there's there's even like uh an extended outtakes because there might be even two versions so if you can get the cyclone z or cyclone z version there there's a, an outtake that doesn't exist in other other versions that do have outtakes uh, awesome my man awesome uh well, go ahead i got i have two more questions sure uh 
I'm going to change the order. I know I sent you the order of these questions ahead of time, but I'm going to change the order. So question. Not going to lie. I completely forget what the questions were. Okay. So, uh, so uh, the question is, can you remember the first dream you ever had when you turned age? I'm kidding. The, the <laughs> next question is, what is one thing you would change from? You know, so we've done a lot of lists, like our right. top 10 list. Is there one entry that you would change uh, from a particular list and what is that? And you don't have to like tell me what changed in the order. Who did you leave off that you want on? And I just, it's so funny that you were going to ask this question because just two days ago, this popped in my head. And I don't want to say who I would take off because I think all of my entries were worthy. But yes. there was an entry on our top 10 kickers of Hong Kong cinema that you had and I did not. And in retrospect, because my good buddy, another one of my good buddies I've never met in person, but another uh, podcaster, awesome fellow, Bruce Willow, Bruno, uh, he has the Bruce Willow podcast incredible martial artist, uh, huge plethora of knowledge of both training. He's a fitness professional. He's a stuntman and martial arts movies in general. Like you and I, he's also a fan of both the Western ones and the Hong Kong ones. Uh, I could talk about all day how cool and talented the guy is, but he just did a uh, video piece on the incredible kicking abilities of Jackie Chan, including the, and I think you know what I'm talking about, in Miracles, one of my all-time favorite movies, there's that one cut where he does the triple kick. It's like the 540 Cyclone to the reverse crescent to the dragon sweep. Yes. And so he was trying to reenact it. And keep in mind, he is a extremely talented wushu practitioner and kickboxer. So he has the physical capabilities to do all this stuff. But even just doing that flow, it's so funny. Jackie made it look so easy. And seeing a guy as talented as Bruno attempt to do it and taking like multiple attempts to get it down right, uh, I was, it just goes to show how good of a kicker Jackie was. And he also displayed some of Jackie's other kicks. Sometimes the simple kicks that, well, in terms of like, okay, jump spinning wheel kick, not the most complex, but he showed an example of Jackie doing it during the, uh, three-on-three three fight, well, excuse me, the Jackie versus Sammo versus UNBL fight in Dragons Forever. And I knew exactly what kick he was talking about before he even went into it. It's where Jackie does a jump uh, spinning uh, hook kick or whatever, but he starts off at an angle like this, then mm -hmm. jumps and kicks from the other one, I think, and it just looks so beautiful. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? Damn it, Jackie should have been on my list. Well, you know, it, it's, uh, even just thinking for me, just thinking about his, like, that uh, kick that he has, in police story too like that uh i can't i can't uh reenact it i can't articulate it as well as you just articulated the miracles kick which kick I, is this I, sorry i there's a there's a great kick that he has in uh police story two as i recall mm -hmm. but i could be i could be blending his uh police story movies together so i'm not going to try to articulate it because it could turn out to be like one of those uh i'm talking about the wrong movie but i will say uh, you mentioned a movie, Miracles, and that is, as it turned out, one of, I think, both of ours, like, that's near the top of our list. And we need yes. to discuss that in the near future. It's hard because I just need to get a good copy of it. Like, they I just know. released that new amazing Blu-ray for the UK. And it, it's it's tempting for me to go and pay all the money, just get an all-region-coded one, and ship it from the UK just to watch that movie. So we do need to do that. Uh but so what, who was your entry you would change? So, so my entry is, I wouldn't change, but I would add him is, uh, and I thought of it as soon as we stopped recording is powers booth from sudden death, because 
he so he encapsulated everything that all the other villains had. Plus, I mean, honestly, if he were in the other room in the room with all the villains, they would probably listen to him. Yeah, he Powers Booth is just he's equally as great as an antagonist, you know, for example, Sudden Death or Tombstone. But he was just so good in rapid fire, too. Yeah. So you're I, having kind of a bad day, huh, Jake? <laughs> I just love his uh, his diction. And, uh, you know, maybe that comes from the fact that he's a classically Shakespearean trained actor. He started off at in the Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just such a, a talented dude. He's extremely talented. I mean, and I think the first movie I was exposed to him, I, I got to know him in was uh, Sudden, not Sudden Death, uh, Southern Comfort. Oh, Walter Hill. Yeah. Walter Hill. Nice. That's a great, great ensemble piece. So that is the second question. The third question is going to lead us into this film, although you might want to pause before we get into the film uh, with my answer. Uh, what is one casting change you would have made to a major Hollywood film? And basically, we've we've gone back and forth multiple times, like, oh, they should have used this person. Why, they, why wasn't this person on that show? Et cetera, et cetera. So... This is like kind of teasing maybe a future episode when I ask this question. Like, what what's a miss for you? I have a very easy answer for you. Uh, and this is based off the fact that the rest of the casting did not care about nationality, as in the original nationality for that character based on the video game. But some of the casting in the Street Fighter movie, not to be confused with mm-hmm. Saint the Street Fighter, the video game Street Fighter starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, Steven D'Souza or whoever who directed that. That film has some brilliant casting, like Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yes, he's Belgium, but he's the perfect guile, right? However, the other half of the casting is horrifically bad. And so the one off the top of my head I would have changed is, no offense to Damien Chapa. He, I mean, he was great in Under Siege and U.S. Seals 2, but obviously he was a terrible Ken. And Gary Daniels should have been... Ken. I mean, yes, I know he comically played the Ken character in City Hunter, but he's blonde at that time, blonde with long hair, ripped to the T, and a phenomenal martial artist, kickboxing champion, uh, practitioner of multiple styles of kung fu. Like that, he was built to play Ken, and he should have. I mean, and people can argue uh, Ryu as well, but I really like Byron Man, and he did a great job in that role. He had. Obviously, he's not the top-notch martial artist some of these other guys would be, but he's a great actor. He had a great look. He had a lean, ripped physique. So he's fine. He gets a pass. Uh, and I, I wouldn't change that because I just think he's a great actor. But Ken, like Damien Chapa didn't bring anything to the table outside of his acting abilities. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, so that, that would be my, my, my big one right there. So I, I had two big ones. Uh, and I, I was I – was, going to go with and i'm just going to go with it it's the substitute and i would have recast tom berenger wesley snipes as the teacher and then the principal instead of ernie hudson steven seagal so you actually mm-hmm. have a martial arts fight at the end of the scene I, i'm gonna one-up you i'm gonna one-up you okay i would change tom berenger to jeff speakman oh well that that's just that's great because he has a teacher look to him but i just yeah i kind of liked uh, just the idea of it almost being uh giving that lead to, but I, I really like that. Jeff Speakman's good. It's very interesting though, that you mentioned Gary Daniels because he was also on my other list on my second, which movie am I, am I going to go with rush hour? Gary Daniels as the, as, oh, the, main, as the main. I, li- heavy. I like that. I like Instead that. That Tom is a Wilkinson. great choice. Yeah. He, okay. he would have been fantastic. Yes. 
So uh, with that said, the reason why this kind of leads into the next movie is there's a very short cameo in this movie. And that cameo should have been a, a good martial arts one-on-one fight scene right before the final third of the film. And of course, that's uh, with Sifu Don Nyam against uh, Don the Dragon Wilson, the world champion. That is correct. And so obviously we will get to that. Yes. Because today we are talking about the... 1992 film, Out for Blood, starring the great 11-time world kickboxing champion Don the Dragon Wilson, directed by Richard W. Munchkin, uh, who also directed another favorite of mine, Fist of Iron. He also did the Ring of Fire movies for Don the Dragon. But, uh, oh, that's right, with your favorite. That's right. Uh, Is is Gary Daniels in Deadly Bet too? Yes, he is. Gary Daniels is the theme today. Yeah, well, what the hell? What's up, Gary? What's up, what's up? Gary's a great name. It's my dad's name. Uh, yeah, so the reason, as we said last week at the end of the episode, we randomly decided we're going to talk about Don the Dragon Wilson or one of his movies. And we picked this one because, well, I just randomly threw it out there because I think overall, and even still rewatching it, and as a kid, it was and still is my favorite Don the Dragon movie. And... I think one of the reasons why is, as opposed to a lot of his other ones, this, and I'm, I'm going to be bold when I say this, just overall is a great film. I would agree with you. I think you, yeah. have, a, you have a consummate professional as the, as the director, uh, who also mm-hmm. turns out is like a gin rummy champion and has written the book on like how to beat, uh, like how to win in, uh, in Vegas and everything. Uh, so it must be good at math. So therefore, yeah. it can explain yeah. like understanding lighting and camera yeah. angles and this and that. Okay, okay. But, but I mean, he's he's a consummate professional. You've got the 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 good the solid funding of PM Entertainment behind it, and this is around the time when they're just kind of entering the a really good pocket of time for them. Uh, so it's it's a really good film, and and I I think there are a couple of the films that might compete with what is the best Don the Dragon Wilson movie, but this is kind of good from the from beginning to end right and so the thing is obviously all all of don's movies are genre pieces in a sense right whether they're straight up martial arts or whether they they venture into he's done a lot of sci-fi he's done some horror but they're all like kind of b movies you could say the difference with this one is it's it's definitely multifaceted in the sense that it kind of blends a, a lot of different genres uh, I mean, we've got martial arts, obviously. We've got action. Uh, but it's also a psychological thriller in a sense. Maybe a little less on the psychological, but definitely thriller. It's, you know, that revenge-driven action film. And dare I say, experimental. I, I would absolutely experimental. There's got it. They, they have a little indie cinema to this. And you Any, can even argue- yeah. Anyone that's taken like film classes at all and stuff, obviously you kind of go over uh, the beginning of like new Hollywood cinema in the 60s and a lot of experimentation with both camera techniques, effects, etc. And kind of this experimental film genre. And this movie has a lot of that feel to it. It's once again a combination of because a lot of the film cuts to his dreams and so forth. So a lot of this has to do with like the lighting, 
the uh, when it cuts to this flashback. He has this flashback of his family being murdered, and throughout the film, he progressively starts to remember more and more. But every time he's having a flashback, it doesn't play out say like a normal scene it's very dreamlike and that has to do with the lighting it's very dark the film throughout a lot of the film is very dark however done very well because it's never like oh i can't see what's going on it's uh you 100 percent see so the lighting is on point for a lower budget yeah. film uh they use a ton of slow-mo effects both in the uh, flashback, like dreamlike sequences, and just in the action in general, a lot of really well done slow motion, not just your stereotypical, like slow motion kick, which they do a little bit of, but more so it's kind of at spots you may not even expect. They use a lot of uh, lens effect, like blurred effects, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of add to that dreamlike, almost horror sequence, because uh, it does have a little bit of an element of horror because it's like his family being murdered in front of him. Uh, there's a lot of abrupt transitions. Like it just cuts from one scene to the next and it's not done in a sloppy way where it's, oh, they must have had a hell of a time trying to edit this thing in post-production. No, it's just, it's a conscious choice. And then there's also a, a lot of symbolism, you know, yes. within the film. And this has to do also with the great performance by, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, Aki Alion. Uh, Aki Elong, or who's a uh, Asian American character actor, very well known. You probably recognize him, or maybe not as well known actually. But uh, he plays this kind of Zen artist who mm-hmm. speaks very almost like in haiku with yes. Don the Dragon. And a lot of the stuff he does, sometimes you almost have to replay. Like, wait, what did he just say? And it's very symbolic, you know. Even like when he breaks the waterfall and the water gushes and you know it's it's symbolic to what dawn the dragon is going through and the demons uh as he becomes a vigilante if we were going to uh like go in deep on theory behind out for blood i there's part of me that almost wants to argue that uh hiroshi the Mm. the artist was a figment of Don the Dragon Wilson's imagination and part of the hallucinogenics that he was taking because he appears and the first time he meets him, he is already speaking to him in a way that he knows uh, who Don the Dragon Wilson is, the the karate, the karate killer. The karate oh, vigilante. man, the karate so, man, the karate yeah, man. Karate man. Yeah. And that, there is a little bit of like superhero aspect about this as well, but like low budget uh, Batman superhero like where he's just going out at night i really like that because it it is extremely plausible because yeah. it could be very much like uh, a la the sixth sixth sense right oh bruce mm-hmm. willis is dead the whole time really you never i think you only briefly see hiroshi san and dawn the dragon with the the female love interest like yeah. one time maybe yeah which you know in, in in the sixth sense they go back and show how that could have made sense right so I think I think that's a great like <laughs> deep dive. I, I mean I even wonder if we do see them together because doesn't she fall asleep or leave the room and then the then Hiroshi's there? I forget. This I think the the first time she <laughs> see I I don't know if they're ever in the same shot together because right. it could so, it could have been implied that like maybe I yeah she she could have been like this is Hiroshi son and it could have been that's the art piece is supposed to be him right and he's just a figment of Don's uh, imagination. I mean, uh, because of the psychedelics that he's taking uh, unknowingly. Yeah. So, I mean, there, 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 is, there is an angle there that we could really mine into. And I mean, now, now that I've actually given it airtime, I, like, I'm like, well, maybe it's not so far-fetched after all. But the, the idea that 
you know, we see Hiroshi-san building this art piece outside of the gallery, and then all of a sudden, the next time we see the art piece, it's Don the Dragon Wilson is building the art piece in his own apartment or his own house. So I'm like, oh, what's what's going on? But anyway, I digress. No, that's that's not digression, baby. That's uh, I this, like this, that, man. That's that's this, that's a that's a real textual analysis, like going into. I, I like that. That's a psychoanalytic analysis of our character. Uh, so real quick, we should talk about the basic plot, right? So we've kind of <laughs> yes. mentioned bits and pieces of it. Spoiler alert, we're going to go over the whole thing real quick. So Don the Dragon Wilson plays uh, an attorney or lawyer whose family is murdered, right? And so it took place before the events of the movie, hence why we see it all in flashbacks. Either which way, uh, he can't remember what happened exactly. It just comes in flashbacks and bursts. And so a very good friend of his, who's also a psychiatrist, is trying to treat him and help him uh, gain back his memory. And at the same time, he inadvertently just becomes like a vigilante. While on a run one night, he just takes out some drug dealers, uh, one played by the great Art Camacho. uh, And then he just keeps doing these vigilante actions and he keeps he keeps liking it more and it's actually helping him remember and but then that's what's tearing him up inside is how much he likes being the karate man because that's what the press labels him and so forth and uh so the more he starts doing it the more trouble he becomes for the main drug dealers in town so then they come after him blah 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 blah. we find out that it ends up in the end his psychiatrist is actually the drug kingpin and he's been manipulating Don the Dragon's memory the whole time through uh, hypnosis and the psychedelics that he was giving him for his headaches that Don the Dragon thought were painkillers. Uh, and yeah, so there we go. It's, it's a little bit uh, Death Wish for the crackdown scenario where they're trying to get where uh, Paul Kersey's hired to take out the two gangs. But to do it's he's actually hired by another gang to do that so that guy can come in and take over but it's not as directly uh apparent as that well and don the dragon wilson's even said he got the idea for the movie from death wish okay now whether well, it was yeah. death wish 4 I, I don't know but most likely it was death wish 1 yeah mo- most likely uh no so i i think um if we if we're going if we can start to discuss some of the fights sure so, there are some great fighters in this film. There's oh, yeah. someone from Force Five. There are, there's, uh, I mean, there's, there are a lot of great sequences, and then there are a lot of sequences that could have had a little more to it. I, there are three sequences in particular that stand out as really well done fights. And I think you and I are going to have them on the same page. So, real quick, I want to say, as I was rewatching this, for the first half of the movie, and let's just say the fight choreographer is Eric Lee. Uh, the King of Kata was his nickname uh, for years. He was like one of the best forms competitors in America. Very famous, very well known, recognizable, probably best as being one of the hatchet men from Big Trouble in Little China. But uh, the first half of the movie, I'm going to go out and say that the fight scenes are kind of weak. And so I'm watching it and I'm like, huh, why did, why is this my favorite? Why did it? But then the second half, it's like they do a complete 180 and the fights just keep getting better and better. And the thing to mention is uh, one of the reasons a lot of the fight scenes at the beginning struggle and even later some of them is at that time, you have to remember, this was, this is 20 years before, 25 years before 8711, right? Where like all stuntmen had incredible martial arts skills. Sometimes stuntmen had zero skills. They were just some big brooding guy and they're like, all right, throw the John Wayne punch. So there's certain fights where it's literally like, oh. Uh, and then Don also like kind of 
tick for tack reacts to them. Because oh, oh, I'm like, Don's so much better than that, right? And a perfect example is, so, and he's done this in a lot of his movies where he does that kind of Seagal fighting stance where his hands are yes. down his waist. Now, here's yes. the thing. Don, as a fighter, he quite often fought in a sideways stance, especially when he switched to southpaw with his sidekick, his lead lead sidekick. Maybe the greatest of all time, even better than Superfight. I'm going to go out and say it. Yes. Because, uh, but, and so he would have backhand up, more at chin, front hand down, and bounce. However, some of his fights, and I was just re-watching, and I can't remember the fighter's name. One of, in the early 80s, he fought a couple of Muay Thai champions under Thai rules and won. And in that fight, he fights like that with both hands down. However, he's doing the karate bounce, right? Or like the kickboxing bounce. So in the first half of the movie, we see him do a little that his hands are down here, but he's not bouncing. He's very static and still because the stuntman he's fighting is very static and still. Later in the movie, especially the finale, when he fights Ken McLeod, uh, another yes. favorite artist from College Kickboxers, a very talented martial artist, the whole time he's like in his kickboxing stance. He's bouncing. Yes, he is. And we'll get to that fight in a bit because I think it's phenomenal. But so it's like the, the fights get better and better. And that's not necessarily a conscious choice, I think. I don't think that was a uh, you know something that they purposely did. I just feel like that's what happened. And so first half – but the second half worth the price of admission right there. Yeah. So what, what are your favorite fight scenes? Then? So, so the first, the first fight that actually shows a little bit of uh, like interest for me is actually one that's early on. It's when he's fighting the gang and there's like one guy, he's like, I'm a boxer. And that guy starts taking a boxing stance with him. Here's, here's my question that's to you, nice good teaser. sir. You mentioned some fantastic martial artists in this movie. And I thought you were talking about him. Do you know who that is? I was going to ask you who, who is he? Because that actually, is, the very, may he rest in peace, very famous uh, pioneer of both karate and kickboxing, Howard Jackson, who he's a very good friend of Chuck Norris's, which is why you recognize him from uh, multiple Chuck Norris movies. I believe he's in Delta Force 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's in a lot of them. He was in Walker a couple times. He had that, he was in the Michael Parks episode where he has that really weird monologue, like short little monologue. Oh, really? But most famously from, he was in my all-time favorite episode, Mate, one of my favorites, the the Legends episode, where it's all yes. the real life kickboxers, and he plays himself. So Howard yes. Jackson was, you know, started off in karate like a lot of these guys. Then he became not only a PKA champion, like full contact above the waist, he was also a WKA, like full rules champion, and he was a WKBA World Muay Thai champion. He's one of those only guys from that original area era that won a World Muay Thai title. Like obviously Sugarfoot, our sensei did much a little bit later. But of those original guys, and he was also an extremely high-level boxer. So yes. that's what. That, so that seems great. But I was like, man, why can't we see him kick? Because he was a great kicker. I know. It, it, well, it's like all of this. It's uh, yeah. I don't know why why we weren't seeing the kicks, but that was like the first hint of oh, this is going to be a little different than the other Don the Dragon Wilson movies because sometimes there are just throwaway fights uh, and. So when I saw that, I'm like, oh, this, this this is interesting. And I think that's also where we see his first sidekick just kind of like lift but up and launch. You know what, Elta? I love that fight scene as I'm watching it because, you know, he's taking out these other guys. The boxer guys getting the best of him. And I'm literally saying to myself, damn it, Don, just low kick him. Yes. And what and what does he do? He beats him with low kicks. There was like five yeah. unanswered low kicks. And the funny part is people are going to be like – They'll twofold. They're going to be like, oh, well, that's not a, a proper low kick because he's not sinking into it Muay Thai style and deep. Ball. And Don the Dragon never didn't know how to throw low kicks because he didn't fight with low kicks. Both wrong. Well, 
It, yes, it's not a Muay Thai style low kick. However, Don the Dragon Wilson, as I said before, he fought Muay Thai rules. Thai champions in the early 80s in Hong Kong. They're on YouTube. Go and watch them. Verifiable. Uh, he, he, he does a fantastic job. I believe he wins like... I think he fought two or three or maybe four. And I remember, I think he won all of them, but one. That's usually the case with all these guys. Uh, they, they never beat all the Thai guys, right? Except for Petey. But even our sensei fought to a draw with uh, Sagat the first time they fought. But I digress. Uh, so, but Don was a WKA champion, you know, which allowed low kicks. And that was how he threw low kicks. He didn't sink into them like Muay Thai style. But unlike an... Uh, a lot of the other guys that started off in PKA rules that where they could never adapt to low kicks, Don did. And the thing is, here's what I'll say about his low kicks. Yes, he didn't drop into them like Muay Thai style, but when he would throw them, like when you watch his real fights, you hear the power. And it's because he is using proper body mechanics, turning the hip, you know, this and that. But a lot of that just comes from his pure athleticism. Because yeah. I was just watching what I believe was the last fight he fought where he was defending his WKA title when he came out of retirement the first time in the early 90s. And you can hear the power behind them. And if you want a good example, uh, when he fought Dennis Alexio in the early 80s, and uh, once again, very early in Dennis Alexio's career, night and day difference till the end. But Don the Dragon, first time I ever watched that fight years ago, I thought, well, I don't know. I think Dennis Alexia won. But when you're rewatching it, Don won that fight with low kicks. Because at that time, Dennis Alexia, like didn't really obviously know Muay Thai technique. And you could see the power of Don's low kicks, which stopped yeah. the forward aggression of Dennis Alexia. Still a great fight. Still very close and competitive. But uh, I just went off for five minutes on low kicks. So I'll stop talking. Well, no, it's, it's funny because I uh, speaking about his kicks to, and just digressing just a moment, like, the movie opens with a kata segment, like after the, I think it's right before, after the flashback, and then we see that kata segment again. And you see the way he throws his kick. It's He's not turning it over necessarily. He kind of throws it up a little like kung fu-ish. Right? Well, and remember, yeah, he's, yeah, he is the first kung fu practitioner to become a world kickboxing champion. And the thing is, yes, so his kicks are not of the Muay Thai variety, right? They're of... Uh, I don't even want to say like Kung Fu because he technically started in Gojo Ru Karate. So they've got that karate look. They've got that, you know, and and not not every style is it such a huge turning over of the hips. But even in comparison of like Southeast Asian kickboxing styles, there's some that turn over even more. So, for example, yeah. like, you know, I've trained and fought Muay Thai in Thailand. You turn the hip over more. But then I've also one time. And I am interested in going to Cambodia doing uh, Kun Khmer or Prado Saray, the Cambodian version. They like turn it over even more. And so there's so many different variations and ways to throw a kick, which is why, hey, oh, he's doing it wrong. Hey, it's like Sugarfoot teaches us. If it works, you can use it, right? You know what I mean? And you, yeah. But you do see that. Like you said, he his kicks were just a little bit – they're compact, right? Yeah. And so not as much – Maybe he can't generate that same sort of power using that body mechanics. But as we said before, and Sugarfoot has attested to this and told us personally, Don the Dragon was one of the most deceptively hardest hitters he had ever known because of his kind of compact style where it wasn't as big, exaggerated motions, but he was just a natural, extremely high-level athlete. And that shows, right? You know, he was able to do those little flicky kicks that when watching, you're like, oh, those don't hurt. And probably the guy's fine. like, what the hell? How, how is my arm so messed up from that? So, uh, so I, I was going to mention something about the kata segment, which is about the, like, his kicks do appear a little different. And then also, if I were ever shooting a Don the Dragon Wilson movie and 
the fights aren't necessarily like up to the level I want. I would just throw in kata segments with him because his stuff is, I mean, he's just so smooth and relaxed and good with it. But uh, we were talking about our favorite fights and I, I mentioned one which, and obviously we're both going to mention the last one. Right. What is there one in the middle that stands out to you between, between, uh, between. Yeah. So real quick, uh, the one I had wrote down and I just want to say about that opening kata sequence, technically he is shadow boxing, right? It's so it's not a pre choreographed kata, but this is like the kata of for boxers and kickboxers is our shadow boxing, right? It's the same thing. You just get to change it up every time. And it's beautiful. It's shot on the beach has that perfect lighting makes me think of the opening of the expert with Jeff Speakman or even the kata sequence from, uh, martial law. And, mm-hmm. Or the opening of Martial Law 2, yeah. you know, all of these. It's in that vein. But like you said, the unique factor is we see it at the beginning in slow motion, right? Yes. And so some of it in slow motion looks beautiful. Other of it, you might even think, oh, well, that kick looked kind of sloppy. But no, then they show that exact same sequence at full speed later in the movie. Yep. It's kind of like a training sequence. And then you see Don's kick. You're like, oh. And anybody that's watched his real fight knows that, Yes, Don wasn't necessarily the most beautiful cinematic kicker. Not at all, right? Because he was a fighter primarily first. But he would pull off those kicks in the ring. And remember, he fought some guys just hopping on one leg the whole time. And then boom, sidekick. They knew what was coming, but he would just still land it. But anyways, the fight in the middle for me that stands out, it's like the first one where I'm like, ooh, this is good, is I, I wrote down the little finger scene. So it's the one where like the, the two thugs, I think he's just gone off the elevator Oh, oh, yeah, that's great. The, yeah. The, yeah. And I wrote, the, here's the reason why. It's clean, it's crisp, and it's brutal. So it's fast-paced, fast cuts, like more Hong Kong style maybe even. Mm-hmm. A little bit of like uh, Aikido-like type stuff, like a Seagal type thing. The first one he does is a very basic wrist lock, but it's done like, it, it's mo- almost like a tactical one, like a police one. Uh, very basic, but realistic, and it, it looks legit. Uh, then he does do one of the big arm breaks, which, yes, is a little more uh, traditional American martial arts. And it's like it, it would actually take quite a bit to do that because most opponents would be resisting. But mm-hmm. everything else, you get to see him do some kicks. It's boom, 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 fast cuts, uh, you know, n- not overly exaggerated motion. So that's the first fight scene that really stands out for me. Yeah, no, I, I like I, the two fight sequences he gets with those guys. And the second one is the one you mentioned where he comes off the elevator. Uh, it comes out of the elevator. Those are the, those are uh, really clean and well done. Like the first one is when he's in the bathroom. I think they're like on, uh, um, like they have like some quick 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 uh, dialogue where the guys like, in the restaurant, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. You're leaving. Yeah. He's like, well, I haven't had a chance to eat. Yeah, and he, well, well, you're never gonna get a chance. But then I'll just like, I'll just be thinking about it. I'll just be let down. I, or, or I forget what yeah. the line is, but it, it, there are a couple of good lines, and he delivers them like the super friendly Don the Dragon Wilson you and I know, just from like you know Dragon Fest. So he just he he's t- always comes off as a friendly guy, super charismatic, and uh, uh, yeah. So the he works with them once and then the elevator sequence you're absolutely right when he comes off by then it's like maybe because they've worked with each other on another day all of a sudden that that fight just had a real nice flow to it yeah i i specifically wrote down as i already said clean crisp brutal there's kicks which i love to see punches joint manipulation so Mm -hmm. we covered all of it in a very short sequence that just works well from that point the fight scenes continue this same higher level style yeah. Uh, and then also there's, you know, a decent amount of gunplay. Cause, and suddenly I'm like, damn, for 
the martial arts stuff is explained, right? He's got like his bag of gear. Obviously, yeah. he's a high level trained martial artist, but apparently he's also uh, had some commando training because, man, he is good with machine guns and uh, kind of tactical warfare. And uh, and I'm kind of being facetious here because it's yeah. like I don't think somebody can naturally just pick that up and do it. Uh but in the middle there, there, there is the one sequence at the train yard where the fight scenes are kind of hit or miss. And this has to do yeah. with the stuntmen not being very high level. But yeah. we also get to see Don finally throw some like – he throws that sidekick to the face that I love to yes. see. Yes. And this is also partial bias because I've watched so many of his fights and I know how effective that technique is and how well he used it all the way up until his final fight at age 48, uh, which he won via knockout. So, <laughs> you know, it's like Don's the real deal. And so that's why yeah. I like watching him. Other people that maybe aren't familiar with real competitive kickboxing and Don and perhaps have only watched like, you know, Donnie Yen and Jackie and these guys, they may watch them and be like, what? Donnie's way better. It's like, well, it's a different style. It's a different form of entertainment within the world of martial arts. But as, as we get going with all this and then we have to do bring up during one of his drug raids uh, we see our mutual friend, your Sifu, Sifu Don Nayam. Yes. And the funny part is, before you even see his face, you just see his silhouette. Yes. And I, I was... instantly, instantly recognize him. You see him from behind in the dark. And at that time, I, I have to say about Sifu Don is he's one of the most inspirational guys fitness-wise because he's still ripped as F, as the kids would say, to this day. And... uh in phenomenal shape, not obviously he's, he's the kind of guy that's not a juicer as in, you know, steroids or any of that stuff. He is natural through his just dedication to fitness and martial arts, yeah. uh, and a huge inspiration. And the funny part is at that time he had a much bulkier bodybuilder type build. And that's what, what was wanted in Hollywood too. Right. And so, because even when you look at him, his physique on, uh, Oh, what's it? The turbo kick or his, his cardio Nitro kickboxing kick. yeah. DVD. Nitro kick, thank you. Yeah. He is just, that's like 10, maybe not less than 10 years later, and he is ripped to the bone, right? Like yeah. he is cut, which uh, which is more close to his physique now. But at that time, he was a little bit bigger, right? Like when you see him as the Stingray in Undefeatable, it was more of that bodybuilder type build. But yeah. that's why you recognize his silhouette instantly because you see instantly. the mullet, the the incredible <laughs> yeah. mullet he had, made, put my mullet to shame, and his kind of bigger build. And I was like, oh, shit. Uh, part of my French, and I was yeah. hoping we'd get more of a fight scene because it's been years since I've watched this. Well, and he, nah. he, well, he gets this. He, he turns around and walks out of the out of the shadow into the light, and we're like, "It's done," you know. And so, and like, we we didn't even watch it together, but like, that, I'm, yeah. I'm watching it. I'm watching it a little slouched on the couch. I'll be honest. I see his silhouette. I'm like, "Oh, this, it's going to happen." So I, I sit up, turns, walks to the camera, see his face. I'm like, "Oh, it's it's on." Then he turns around and gets a sidekick to the face. Right? It was hey. to the face. It was yeah, but some, he, he got hit. Yeah, he definitely got hit. Uh, it would have been amazing to see those two fight. Uh, uh, maybe sure. one day we could. Maybe one day they'll still make a movie together because they're both still incredible performers, still in incredible shape. Uh, yeah, so that's a disappointment from the movie. We didn't get to see more from Sifu Don, but you know, yeah. it is I what it, it is. Was, yeah, it's early, early, it was early on in his uh, in his uh, Hollywood days, and you know, he uh, but yeah. Hey, at least we got to see him in the movie and we both instantly recognized him. Now, as, as the film progresses, pretty much as would go with films of this genre, uh, everything comes uh, kind of uh, falling down. It's like, so he, you know, 
the drug lords figure out who he is. They almost kill him. Then they kidnap his girlfriend. They meet for a final showdown. At the final showdown, he finds out that his psychiatrist, his best friend, was the uh, mastermind all along. The reason why the family got murdered is because they were at their boat on the docks, which I guess his friend was using to smuggle drugs in and thought they were going to be out of town that weekend. And, mm -hmm. you know, blah, 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 blah. He had been controlling him this whole time through hypnosis when he was still in a coma. And that's why he's giving him the psychedelic drugs and always wanted to do sessions with him to keep him under control. Uh, yeah. If, and if you, and you know what? Dinner, it's like, yeah. Call me immediately at night. It doesn't matter what time. Right. Uh -huh. So is it far-fetched? I'm going to say no. It actually, they, they give some good background to it. It's like he, you know, wanted to become rich and he had a prison therapy group, and that's how he made his connections and became a drug lord. Uh, but the more important part is we finally get to see a fight scene for Dawn where – so he did fight Howard Jackson earlier, as we said, but he's fighting guys. I used to do a little boxing, right? It's not that big of a <laughs> yeah. deal. So we get to see him fight who would be kind of like the main henchman, Ken McLeod, who we only got to see uh, move a little bit uh, earlier in the film where one of the uh, drug lords – henchman's like i quit man and then they're like you never quit and then ken mcleod like you know beats him up a little bit and so this is ken mcleod as we said from uh college kickboxers a very very talented martial artist definitely more uh he has like he can do the kickboxing choreography especially the hong kong style as shown in college kickboxers mm -hmm. but he definitely has what's more of a standard taekwondo traditional karate type uh repertoire right yeah. uh and I love his outfits throughout the movie. It's like, did I he know. bring those from home? Because they're like Led Zeppelin shirts and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. yeah and he wears like very high-waisted. Like at that time, that was that was the normal style, like parachute pants and stuff. So I was just going to point out the pants because he's had those pants. Maybe not that exact same, but that style in at least two other movies, if not yes. three. Yes. And, all, and, and basically in all his movies. Yeah. And I do like how he is almost a chameleon in a sense where he uh, – Fine enough actor, you know, he's not like uh, Al Pacino or anything, but he's able to go from movie to movie. And as a kid, I never realized it was him. You know what I'm saying? I never, it wasn't until rewatching this as an adult, I'm like, hey, that's the thing. And then I look him up, oh, Ken McLeod, because, you know, in Showdown, he's the high school bully. Uh, oh, what was the one with Gary Daniels? I'm drawing a blank. Not Wait. Deadly Impact. Is it Deadly Impact, it's, maybe? It's it's one of the PM Entertainments, right? Right. And so he plays a, a, you know, a detective, right? And the thing is, all he's got to do is change his hair color, and then we see <laughs> yes, him bounce from and, movie to movie. I, and depending I, on the I, hair color, you know, how, you know how good or bad he's going to be. And, yeah. And I will say, he is in a Cynthia Rothrock movie. Um, yeah, he plays Wait. an agent in a Cynthia Rothrock movie, FBI agent. Mm. It, is it Guardian Angel, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. It's funny. That's yeah. one of the ones I've seen the least, actually. Uh, but but and, uh, before we like get too deep on this, I'm just going to go a little deeper in a different angle. The the final fight of college kickboxers uh, between Ken McLeod and I can't, I'm blanking on his, the name, but the the guy that Jeff is his Jeff Langton Jeff Link Langton I think is it. He's a friend right, yes. of he's a friend yes. of Sensei's. I've met him a few yes. times. Really nice guy. Sensei that's calls right. him Rambo. And I know I know that's exactly right. We talked about this when we talked about college kickboxers. But if you haven't. If you want to see the best of Ken McLeod as a fighter, you watch that fight sequence. And if you want to see the best of Ken McLeod as an actor, I think you watch Showdown because he he comes across as just so I don't know, just uh, sleazy. Yes, yeah, sleazy, sleazy, and manipulated and controlled by the head sensei. He gives he gives William Zabka a run for his money as the uh, the head of the karate bullies. Yeah, but we we got to get talking about the sending fight scene. Yeah. So. 
And here's the deal. Is he competitive in this fight scene? No, not at all. Don the Dragon kicks his ass, but it's a great fight scene because Don's using like his real kickboxing technique Agreed. repertoire finally. He's bouncing, as I said, the whole time. It's like a jab. What does he do? Parry, jab, back. Like, pa-pa. Like, catch, you know, catch the punch, punch back. Bam. Kick, kick, stop, kick. Bam. And, and the thing is, one of the reasons why the fight's so great also is because Ken McLeod sells it. You see how yes. frustrated it is. He goes in, yes. and we also as an audience think go in thinking it's going to be more competitive. Nah, Don the Dragon's just going to kick his ass and he he sells the shots and the frustration he's like because the one point the fight turns around was he have to do cheat picks up like a piece of wood bangs it across like he's trying and then he's trying to choke yeah. him with the wood very early 90s action movie where it's like well couldn't yeah. you have just kept hitting him and like murdered him that way but <laughs> I, I do i do appreciate how they so i think the only time that uh, don the dragon wilson gets hit is when he gets shot with some bullets through his leg uh but then he just puts gauze over <laughs> Uh, he, he gets, gets stabbed by the little kid. He gets stabbed by the little kid, and he gets uh, he gets three. The in the earliest earlier fight uh, with Howard, he gets uh, three. He gets hit three times in the face at least. But Ken McLeod does get one kick in, which is nice. I'm glad he was able to like after he hit him with the with the wooden you know board, he was able to get one kick up, and that 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 I think is good for the film. Uh, I also noticed that that whole fight sequence. A lot of the fights are usually shot at shoulder length in this film uh-huh. and a lot of Don the Dragon Wilson movies because he's a tall big guy but right. this one all of a sudden goes low and you can actually see the, the footwork and the I think the only time where Ken McLeod's so Ken McLeod is is Don the Dragon Wilson one of them southpaw at one point and then Ken McLeod switches or he switches to southpaw so they're like they're facing this way and then they face this way and if I had to guess I'd say Don the Dragon because within his actual fighting he constantly switched yeah, so, so that, you knew think, yeah yeah, you would see him switch, and then at one point, Kim McCloud switches, and I'm like, oh, that's that's really. I'm glad that they're like mixing that in. So it really did come down to the stands. It almost felt like uh, a lower budget precursor to Jackie Chan versus Brad Allen and Gorgeous in the way that they're switching with each other. If you go back and watch that sequence, you'll see one area mm-hmm. where where Kim McCloud switches. I'm not saying that Gorgeous was inspired by the fight sequence, <laughs> but the footwork was changing, and it was shot low enough that you got to see the footwork. I'm gonna go ahead and said say highly unlikely. Yeah, well, yeah, about <laughs> gorgeous. But uh, no, I think it's a great fight. And then we have like, then the police show up and there's this, then a big explosion that that's shot. It's a, an amazing shot of the explosion and uh, Don's character flying through the air. Yes. Terribly obvious stunt man though. Yeah. But the stunt. The stunt is fantastic. It's like, up. it's on par with, uh, is it Con Air at the end with the uh, the explosion and they're flying through the air? Yes, absolutely it is. It almost is like shot for shot the same. It, it's very impressive, but so, it's just a very obvious stunt double. Uh, yeah. Because because it's, it's shot so well and you can see so clearly the guy flying yeah. through the air, you could also clearly see it's not Don the Dragon. But either which way, and then at the end, the police are like, the, the detective that's been playing cat and mouse with Don the Dragon the whole movie is like, <clears throat> you know, I discovered it was you. But guess what? We like you, Karate Man. There's stuff the police can't get done. We're going to form a special task force, uh, you know, and report directly to the mayor. And uh, you're going to be our main guy. So really, it leaves it open for like a sequel where he's supposed to be like this Batman-esque vigilante that works for uh, this group of uh, off-the-books, like, yes. detectives and stuff. But we we never got a sequel. You know, it's funny. Uh, Don the Dragon Wilson movies have so many sequels, and they're not always related. This is the one movie that set up 
a potential for a whole franchise. And this is wait, I would challenge you to say which of his sequels actually are 100% related. The only one I can think of is Ring of Fire 1 and 2, because technically Blood Fist 2 isn't, I mean, he's playing the same named character, but yeah. It's not really technically a sequel, but other than that, all of his sequels are unrelated, almost. Yeah, they're they're all unrelated, and this yeah. is like uh, out for blood, out for blood, out for blood. Yes, out for blood is the first movie where they actually set up a potential for a whole franchise, and oh, we're just going to leave it there. Um, I, Except I for the, the martial arts kid too. Did that already come out, or is that coming out? Or uh, I don't, I don't think so, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's not my, even talk about uh, the the police officer. Yeah, it sounds as though I'm involved in it. Uh, Michael Delano, okay, uh, was also in another uh, Robert uh, Richard Munchkin film, uh, Deadly Bets, which ah, but he, right. he he's he's always like kind of you see him throughout the the PM Entertainment Network movies as well as the. Uh, Richard Munchkin movies. He's he's he helps move the script along with the great actor. gravitas. Yes, with his yeah. acting. He he knows like he's he's acting for this genre. Uh, and the thing is, people sometimes incorrectly assume people are not talented actors or they're overacting, not on purpose. No, some of the actors in these films were extremely talented, and they knew what they were in, and they were properly, purposefully overacting. Uh, but I wouldn't even say he was. He's just he's just like a very genre driven and created character. He's 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 a professional for this genre and for PM Entertainment. Yes. Uh, you mentioned a stunt. I know. I just want to like go back real quickly to when the warehouse explodes. There are two stunt performers who catch who come who emerge from the explosion on fire. I guess they were meth working on the meth lab because they're wearing uh-huh. full fire suits. That stunt is phenomenal. The camera keeps rolling and the guys yeah. are just rolling around. I'm like, I'm wondering at what point, when do they say, when do they douse them? Because they're probably just sitting there filming like, wow, these guys are, they're really into it. Good job. Yo, yo Richard, you were supposed to yell cut five minutes ago. But real quick, because we're running out of time right now, two important things I want to talk about real quick are, uh, John the Dragon's act is well. It's more one thing. His actual performance in this movie, it's it was kind of a step above what he had done so far. I've always thought he has great screen presence and great charisma, which is why I always love his movies, even in the ones where the fight scenes are, you know, not as top notch. He is he has a great on screen presence. And I was just watching an interview with him the other day where he's like, "Yeah, you know, I've got about like you know one to six different ways I can do a scene." I'm not Al Pacino and I know my limits and but this movie is one of those ones where his acting performance is really well done. He's sly, he's cool. He has great sex appeal, right? Like yeah. he is a, a he's he's strong, he's intelligent and the way he delivers his lines, it's like almost it's no not almost, it is very cocky in a sense, yes. right? But it's also like seductive, like the way the you know when he's kind of uh first introduced to the female love interest, you know, yes. the way he delivers lines is kind of like, Hey, you know, da-da-da. and it's totally just very well done. And I, I think that should be noted because I don't think he's given enough credit for his acting abilities. Now, would I ever put him in a period drama piece without any action? No, sorry, Don. But I think of, of all the performers from that era, he just had a screen presence that oozed, uh, likability 
Yeah. And uh, in this one particularly, we get to see kind of an extra uh, another side that we don't because he had a lot of romantic love interests in his films and he did great with those. But this one, there's a, a, a real sense of believability to his character in being that suave, charismatic leading man. And, yeah. you know, he's just got some. Some very I didn't really write any of the dialogue down. I should have, but he has some great like one-liners in response to stuff. Yes. And you're like, I almost wanted to take notes. Like, well, obviously, you know, yeah. uh, when I was single many years ago, I am happily uh, with my wonderful partner, Jessica. But it's like, for younger guys, maybe you should go and take some notes on some of those uh, smooth lines he uses. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's, you're absolutely right. He has, he has this charisma. And I can, you, if you get to meet him in person or you get to watch one of his films sometimes his films the dialogue might be off the there might be some awkwardness here or there but he is just so likable they like yeah who are we going to cast so he's available cast him let's yeah. do like just do a multi-picture deal with him cast him because he's just he just comes across as genuine on screen period yeah he now he he'd be a great like the older Sifu role to Kung Fu movies, in this case, maybe the older Sensei role. But uh, the only other thing I'd written down here that I, I want to talk about, what we already kind of did is uh, another element that is prevalent throughout is the Zen philosophy, mm -hmm. which uh, is from Hiroshi-san's character. And I, I do like how that was thrown in too. So overall, this film is, it stands out in Dawn's library of work simply because of the unique factors to it in being kind of multi-genre, uh, some of the more experimental stuff that they tried to do and how it came off so professional. It came off as a much bigger budgeted movie than it was. It came off as not your stereotypical straight to VHS B movie, but rather felt like this could have been a theatrical action film, you know, had say it starred like someone else from that era and had a slightly bigger budget. You know what I'm saying? But overall, I, I think we've covered why we love this movie, why everyone should go out and see it. It's, it's kind of readily available. Uh, it's not on prime video at the moment, but uh, it's on, Tubi. it's on Tubi. Uh, it might be on YouTube. Uh, check it out. You will be entertained. Any closing thoughts? Uh, I think you just hit it. The whole, the whole idea of the, of, of like the Zen thread going through this sort of uh, giving that extra layer of justification and linking it to, to one of our favorite themes, the Bushido theme. Precisely. And as of right now, we obviously have not picked our next movie, but we'll pick something good for you guys, uh, whether it's a movie, whether it's just a topic, uh, unless you have any ideas. No, I, I think, I think, uh, I think maybe we should talk about it this week. Because yeah. there, there, there are a few things that came up. Gary Daniels keeps coming up for us. So, Ooh, you know what? You know what? Bam, you just did it. So perfect. Just like how Dawn the Dragon was coming up in the last week's one. Let's do a Gary Daniels movie next week. Yeah. We're calling Sounds it right good. now. Gary Daniels movie. Uh, we have a lot of great options. So stay tuned next week where we talk about the fantastic, inspirational Gary Daniels. All right, my man. Uh, great episode, and I will catch you later. Sounds good. Have a great week. All right. Peace, baby.